this picture of God as a father on his knees with his arms open and there was tears running down his face. And he, the whole time, had just been waiting for me to come running to him in my mess and in what felt like a life that had been broken into a million pieces. He was actually not waiting for me to get anything together. He was just waiting to embrace me in my brokenness. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton and this is the Toddcast. Here, as always, we hear real-life testimonies of how people got set free from religion and Jesus became real to them and changed their hearts. Don't forget to follow along on Instagram at the Toddcast underscore DAC. And my guest today is an entrepreneur and a man who loves the outdoors. Let's welcome Micah Kubasek. Hey, bro. How's it going, Todd? It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for coming. Did I get the pronunciation right, man? You you, you did. You actually did that pretty well. I'm impressed. I'm good, impressed. Good stuff. Good. Um, Micah, first of all, thank you for coming on the show. And secondly, this is a little Toddcast trivia. Toddcast trivia. Well, actually, no, it's not trivia. It's, uh, I was not prepared for this. Oh, I don't know what the word is. Anyways, it's not trivia at all, but it's just a fun fact. That's what it is, a Toddcast fun fact. Thank you so much for bringing me a coffee. Double, double. You know it, bro. Anytime. Yeah. Like, not only do you must know me, but you've paid attention to the logo. Only one other guest has brought me a coffee. Can you guess who that is? Shevsky. No. <laughs> Not at all. And he passed a couple of them on the way here. No, not him. Oh, that's no. disappointing. The other guest. Bud? No, no. And he wouldn't have known that. Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie Covert. Of course. That, Love that her not heart. have been my third guest, but... Uh, yeah. But Anne-Marie. Yeah. So you guys go down on the record. Anne-Marie Covert, episode three, for anyone who's not heard it. Glorious. And Micah. Thank you so much, man. <laughs> You are. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, enough, enough tomfoolery, bro. Um, let's just get after it. You're an entrepreneur, so we'll talk about the business that you're doing there towards the end because that's uh, some yeah. pretty interesting stuff. But you grew up uh, just outside of Kitchener. We seem to talk to heaps and heaps of people from the Kitchener area, but just outside of the uh, Kitchener area, can you tell us where and what that was like for you? Yeah. Um, so I grew up outside of a little town called Bright, Ontario. So I grew up uh, on a farm, uh, on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere. Um, so you're asking a little bit about how uh, my upbringing was with the commune and all that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's a bit of a, when people ask about that, I try to, it's always a challenge to articulate that clearly and concisely without raising a hundred more questions, but that's almost impossible. So I'll try to explain that in a nutshell, without leaving you super confused. Um, it's a long story, but basically, um, it's similar to people when they would have seen us in public because of the way we dressed would have thought we might be Amish or Mennonite. Um, a lot of people wouldn't have a bit of an understanding of what those cultures are like or the way they dress. Um, so it was a closed Christian commune. Um, my great grandfather started it. He got saved when he was in the trenches in the first world war. And he was reading, um, in acts where it said the believers shared everything and had all things in common. Nobody had any lack. So he, out of that, him getting saved and then reading the scriptures was birthed this kind of, this, this vision, this dream to have this kind of little utopia where people would live together, where they would share everything, where they would serve the Lord together. Um, and so, 
probably by the time that dream was first birthed to when it actually became a reality, probably 20 years had passed and he had um, defected from the army. He had traveled across Europe trying to find people that might be interested in um, joining him and, and starting something like this. Eventually uh, a church in England sent him over to America to raise money so they could start this little, this little commune, whatever you want to call it. Um, he came over to the America in the, great, in the middle of the Great Depression, they assumed there was lots of money in America. He comes over, it's in the middle of the Great Depression. They're about to send him back to back to England. His visa was running out and uh, was able to, he heard that uh, Henry Ford was hiring across the border. So he walked across the Ambassador Bridge and got a job working for Henry Ford as his first boss in Canada. Um, and so this, but this dream just continued to kind of live on in his heart. And, and a few more years has passed, he finally um uh, he actually finally went to Alberta and there he found, he found a girl, he got married. Um, she was on board with his vision and I believe there was three other people. So the five of them started this small farming community out in, I believe it was Alberta. I'm not sure if it was Alberta or Manitoba, but that was in the, um, I believe that was in the early forties. Um, and so it might've been late thirties, early forties. And then over the, the following, how many years is that? 60 years, 60, 70 years, that grew and became its own little, um, almost like a little self-sustaining group of people that, that, uh, yeah, they worked together, lived together. We had our own school, our own businesses, um, our own church and own church services. So it was very, it was very, um, we had, we didn't have much interaction with the outside world apart from that group of, it grew to be about 120 in, in its heyday. And, and this, so then they moved to Ontario? Yep. So over that part of that process, they, they moved to Ontario. I think they were, I'm not sure if they were looking for better, better farming land or something like that, but that led them to Ontario. And then, yeah, so I was, I was born in, uh, in 89. And so that was at that time in, uh, just outside of Bright. It's still there to this day, actually. It doesn't operate as a commune anymore, but that property is, is still there. My parents actually own it now. Um, and so there was a, there was this, at one point, it had split because um, this is a long story. But they uh, basically it's got okay, man. We got with, time. <laughs> all right, <laughs> they got connected with some traveling uh, missionaries from Germany who kind of had this vision to move to Israel and serve the Jewish nation and bring Christ to to the Jewish people. So, um, growing up, growing up, it was in my teenage years. But basically, the whole vision became we're all going to move to Israel and live there and spend the rest of our lives in Israel um, and do what we can to bring the gospel to the Jewish nation. And so over my teenage years, um, most of, almost all of my friends and everybody I grew up with actually moved to Israel and they still live there to this day. Um, So we were in this little community. We had no, we didn't have any friends outside of the commune. And then everybody just kind of disappeared and moved over to Israel. Um, And so it was around that time. So that's kind of a little bit of the history of the commune. And, and it wasn't it wasn't Amish, it wasn't Mennonite or Hutterite, but it had influences from different uh, different streams or different different churches like that. Um, so it was super, super religious. Um, well, and can these things grow, like, as people keep having kids, can you sort of grow out of the land? Do you know what I mean? Like, but by population? Can it become pop- populated to the point where they sort of split? And, yeah. and buy some more land somewhere what else. You're describing is very much how the Hutterites operate. A lot of people wouldn't know what the Hutterites are, but they have colonies all across Western Canada. And what they'll do is every time they get over 100 people, they'll split, they'll buy a new property and kind of start new ones. But ours, 
our our commune didn't actually ever have that. They just kind of kept growing and growing. But then because everybody moved to Israel, then at that point it shrunk down to just a few families. And at that point it basically dissolved. This is about 11 years ago Okay, when it finally dissolved. At its peak, it was 120 people. My grandpa was born and raised in that and died in that. My dad was in his 60s when when that when the commune dissolved um and then i was in i was a part of that until i was 21 okay and so when you talk about religion so obviously your grandfather had an encounter his heart was changed right and i believe yes and i kind of personally believe that christian religions started out of well-intentioned hearts but sort of became religious and about rules and different things so what like did you do you have any recollection or of how things became more religious or, or, or what that, and then what led to the dissolving of it for you specifically, or you and your family, your immediate family? Yeah. Great question, Todd. Um, I think anytime you, somebody has a vision like that and, and people join off, it starts out really beautifully. And because everybody has the same heart, they're there for the same reason. They want to do the same thing, but over the generations, the kids don't understand the vision or why they're actually doing what they're doing. It's just what they're born and raised into. So they don't actually have the heart for it. And so I think what can happen, especially I think it would be that that second generation, people actually don't know the vision and why we do what we do and live the way that we do. And they don't know life apart from that. And so what can happen is that people then start trying to control people so that they, they can keep what is happening intact. And so I think that's where the religion can start to creep in where, um, yeah, where it can, it started with something with a really beautiful heart and a really beautiful vision. And then it went a little side, it can get a little sideways. So growing up was really, I'm really thankful for it. I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm so thankful for the way I was raised and the way my our parents just invested in, into us and poured into us and the values that we learned. But there was a lot of really hard stuff as well and things that, um, yeah, the Lord's just just really done a lot of healing in my heart, and 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 He's just really encountered me with His love that just transformed me in a powerful way. Um, but it was, I definitely wouldn't want to live that way or raise my kids um, in that type of a culture. Um, but I am thankful for it. And then the second part of your question was about how that dissolved, and then I transitioned out of it. Is that what you were asking? Yeah. How did it dissolve? Like, did families? Did you guys all mutually decide, you know what, this isn't working, we're going to go live on, on our own? Did you? Did some of you stay on the property? Because you have a big family, right? Three sisters, four brothers? Yeah, yeah, there's eight of us. And so, um, yeah, growing up was an adventure. It was, it was wonderful. It was, it was challenging. Um, so actually what happened, so it was in my teenage years that all of our friends were packing up with their families and moving over to Israel. And I, and like, like I know always when you tell a story like this, there's always a hundred more questions that come up, but uh, so everybody, almost everybody at that point, I was in my late teens, they had moved. The, the community really started to shrink and there was a bit of, um, did you want to go? I believed my whole life up until I was 21 that I was going to move to Israel and be a part of that. I felt like I felt like that's what God had uh, had had for my life and had spoken to me. And so that's why I really, even though it was really hard, I kind of just stuck it out and stayed there. Um, but there came a time then where our my my family was a little bit. Um, they weren't super loved by everybody within the commune, and that that made for some challenges. And they weren't so sure that they wanted us over in Israel, um, and so. Eventually, my parents had decided they're not gonna, 
they wanted to make sure they kept the family together where some other families had got split up where some would move and some would stay back and it was just really really painful um for families and our parents didn't want to do that so they eventually decided we're not actually going to move to israel and it was it was actually shortly before that i had made the decision that i wasn't going to go uh part of that was um yeah i i, I had never gone to a different church really outside of this 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 church that we had on the commune um and there was a day when i had gone to the church and i just experienced God in a brand new way and I experienced freedom, I would say, for the first time in my life. I remember the first time being at this church, um, feeling like nobody's nobody's judging for me for the way I'm that I'm dressed, uh, for my haircut, for whatever. Um and it was that day that I had decided that I'm not gonna make this transition. I'm not gonna move. And then about a year after that my whole family decided, okay, we're not actually gonna go to Israel. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, totally. So <clears throat> Did you guys stay on the property? Yeah. So, or did you guys move? We actually stayed there. So I started going to different church. Um, we, but I still kept working on the commune, but at the same time, I'm now getting slowly transitioned into kind of like life outside of the commune and just learning how to make friends that, that are not people that I grew up with and learning. Like, I remember like I was 21 years old, the first time I pumped gas at a gas station, and that was a was a scary experience for me because I felt like an idiot not knowing how to pump gas at a public gas station. Because at the farm, we just at the commune, we just had everything there on the property. So it, it, I'm very thankful for that slow transition where I got to still live there and be there, but kind of slowly get used to actually like figuring out car insurance and and like and paying rent and like stuff like that. We just never because of that, how the car commune operate. I just never had to do any of those things, and it was actually like terrified to talk to people like. Um, because we never met new people ever. Um, and we had this really, some just some strange belief systems around outsiders that were not healthy. Um, so there was just a, just a, it was probably, honestly, it was probably almost a 10 year process of, of unlearning stuff. And I think I still am sometimes, but uh, yeah, it's just been, it's been a wild journey and I'm so thankful for it. Um, but yeah, definitely a learning curve. So did, did your faith or your family's faith ever, like wane or change? Did you, you know how a lot of people, if they grow up in religion, they drift away from God because of religion. Did that, ha- or, or was your guy's faith was always grounded? It was just sort of the, like, did it wane at all? Yeah. So for a lot, or for at least you personally. Yeah. For, for a lot of people that left the commune, a lot of them did it when they were teenagers. Some of them did it when they were a little older. Like sometimes they'd be shunned. Um, really like a really excruciatingly painful process for a lot of individuals that shows they didn't want to be a part of it. Um, and for a lot of them that led to some really, um, destructive lives after post post common, because it was so much control, so much religion, so many rules that they just kind of jumped off the deep end and just did everything that they were not allowed to do growing up. Um, the beautiful thing is so many of those people have now come back to the Lord and been reconciled and, 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 and all that, but it, but it did create a lot of pain for a lot of people. Personally, um, everybody has a different way of dealing with, with pain and with control and with, with those things. For me, I internalized a lot of things and I became extremely religious. So growing up through, as a teenager up until into my yeah, early twenties, I was, I, since I was little, I'd always had a love for, for God and I just I had a heart to please him and to honor him. And the only way that I knew 
how to do that was through following the rules, embracing religion. And so that's what I did. I I had a thousand rules that 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 I would hear, hear from different people that I felt like I had to follow. So I held myself to this inc- like incredibly high um standard i don't know if that's the right word but i just felt like anytime i broke any tiny little rule i would feel in a tremendous amount of guilt and shame um which eventually led me to getting super depressed um i did get baptized when i was i think i was 16 or 17 so i had a heart to 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 love and know god but i really i just saw him as an angry guy up in the sky who was waiting to punish me he couldn't wait for me to mess up so he could just hit me with his big stick that's that's kind of the subconsciously that's how i believed god to be so i just try to follow all the rules and get it right every single time because if not i'm i'm, I'm going to get punished and it's going to be really painful and there's going to be disconnection um did you feel that's did, did, was that what you formulated in your mind or was that kind of how it was taught to you guys I don't know that it was, I don't think it was explicitly ever taught that way, but it was, I would say it was modeled that way. Like it was a shame culture where you, you messed up, you'd get shamed in front of people and humiliated and embarrassed. So it was definitely modeled in the culture. So that's mm. where I kind of created this. That's what formed my view of who God was. That changed for me when I was, I was 21 and I just kind of hit the end of my rope. I was super depressed. I was wrestling with so many things because I would read the Bible and, and, and I would see that Jesus was one thing in, in the Bible. And then, but here I am and we're in this, you know, we were these, these, these kind of these super Christians and it just, it just something didn't add up. It was just two very different pictures that I was seeing. I remember really, um, that caused me so much pain to, to kind of see this, this, uh, discrepancy, um, also was completely had no more community anymore because everybody had packed up and left uh and had gone they were living in israel um so i was just at a point in my life i was just super i just felt like internally like i was just broken into a million pieces um and i was just like i remember being at work and just and just crying and i just i just i just i was just done and i was like god you're either real and if you are you need to show up or if not i'm just done like i'm, I'm out like if this is what life is I don't want it. Like I'm not interested in. So I was having some suicidal thoughts, and and I remember it was it was, it was shortly after that that uh, because I was so religious, I never broke any of the rules. Things like going to a different church, I, I wouldn't even have broken that rule, even though like that's you'd think that'd be not that big of a deal. But um, I remember so I was in so much pain that I kind of just didn't care anymore. And so my sister convinced me to go with her one Sunday to this other church, and. Uh, that I believe that was in February. That was in February, eleven years ago, and I remember for the first time experiencing freedom. and And it's a longer story as well. But God really spoke clearly to me about basically he just was like, "Hey, you actually don't need to keep walking this thing with with the commune and the Israel thing. Like that's actually not what I have for you." So he spoke that really clearly to me, which just released me from a huge burden. Um, and so I immediately started getting plugged in at this new church. We did a book study on the, uh, a book by Francis Chan called Crazy Love. And that was the first time, it was the first time in my life that I'm like, oh my goodness, God loves me. Um, and then there was a moment where, I actually don't even know when it was, but I just had this this encounter and I I could see myself you know, just a few months earlier, just in that in that pain and having suicidal thoughts and just ready to give up on life and just being like, God, like, just crying out to God and being like, you need to show up or I'm done. And I just had this picture of 
God is a father on his knees with his arms open and there was tears running down his face. And he, the whole time, had just been waiting for me to come running to him in my mess and in what felt like a life that had been broken into a million pieces. He was actually not waiting for me to get anything together. He was just waiting to embrace me in my brokenness. And that moment changed my life. It changed everything because for the first time in my life, I was like, oh, I'm loved. And when you know that, when you know you're loved, it changes everything. Um, I still get emotional because that, that was such a powerful, um, moment. It was a turning point in my life, really. Um, so if you want me to go, I'll just carry on with what went on from there. But, um, yeah, that's, that's very profound and great, great truth. Yeah. It's also interesting how you said that you were reading the Bible and things didn't match up to some of the things that you guys were were doing and how you were living it's interesting yeah. right you'll you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free oh, yes right that's, that's, that's wild I, I love that verse and i have a i have a story that maybe i can share a little bit later but a story that illustrated that truth for me in, in a profound way but but here's what i would say is that when when there's a heart that's humble and hungry god will always lead that heart to truth to himself and and people like often wrestle with a question, but what about all the unsaved people all over the world who have just never had a chance to hear the gospel? And I just know from, from, from I saw it in my life, and, and I've heard so many stories of other people like having that happen. When a heart is hungry and searching for God and searching for the truth, God will always have them just stumble right into him. It happens over and over. So that's a bit of a, bit of a, a side note there, but I really felt like, because I was super lost in, in religion, um, but I, but I, there's this thing in my heart where I, I did genuinely want to know God and know truth. And, and he met me in that place and, and completely transformed um, my life. Yeah. And so that was, yeah, 11 years ago. And then that kind of began what felt, it's kind of, it's felt like I've had two different lives. The first 21 years, the, the commune, all of that. And then the last 11, 11 years have just been, because once I discovered once it became evident in my heart that God's actually real and he exists, I was just like, I need to, so if he is real, I, I'm not going to be content with just theology. I, I actually need to experience him and, and taste him and touch him and see him move. Like, and so I, I went to move to Mexico for a year and there I started, it was the first time I started to experience people getting healed. Um, I went to so this is very soon after you sort of had that vision? Yeah, within within I believe it was a year or so because I, I I was working as a machinist, um, but it was just killing me showing up at to the to the shop every day and just being in the same four walls because just everything inside of me just wanted to con- continue to pursue this little bit of God that I began to discover. I just I just I just got so hungry to see more and to experience more. Um, so I started just serving and in whatever capacity I could find, um, started just going to helping out at a youth center. There got connected with a guy going to taking teams to Mexico. I went there for a week and then I went back for a year um, to Mexico and traveled a bunch. And then from there, I went to ministry school in California and, and there I continued to travel and just really, yeah, just go after. I just really wanted to, if God's real, I, I needed to find that out for myself. And, and make my own history to, to actually kind of build my own case. Like, is this God stuff real or isn't it? Cause it either is or it isn't. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. So what about Mexico? What, what did you see in Mexico? You said you started. 
you saw some healings or what what happened in mexico where did you go who'd you stay with (laughs) were you backpacking and doing the hostel thing or were you what 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 was that i went as a full-time volunteer with youth for christ actually um so i was serving a local church and the Youth for Christ ministry there. So I, I have a, a passion for for kids. I love working with kids. So a huge part of what I got to do was just soccer school, spend time in the orphanage, work at the kids program at school, at the, at the church, I mean. Um, and around that same time, I, I started to be exposed to this idea that God can still heal people. Because up until then, I would have argued with you if you if you told me that God just wants to heal people. Um, but I started to, to get around people that were experiencing those things and had stories and i'm like okay if this is if this is real then then i want it because i want it all and i remember the first time but i was terrified i was terrified to step out and and pray for somebody or share my faith like i wanted to do it so bad my heart would start racing and and uh yeah but i remember the first time that i actually ever prayed for somebody i went with my friends i didn't speak spanish super well at that time it was three or four months in i went to my uh my friend's house and her her grandma was there and they translated for me but i had met her and the first thing she was just talking about was her her toothache she had a bad toothache and i guess she must have been in a lot of pain um but i waited for a little moment where everybody had left the room except myself and the grandma and then i said i was like hey can i in my in my very broken spanish like hey can i pray for your tooth and 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 i did that very briefly before anybody else could see or come back in and uh, and i just and I just left it there. And then a couple hours later, we watched a movie or something. And then after that, the grandma was all like pumped up and excited. And she was telling everybody, she's like, you prayed for my tooth and my toothache's gone now. And uh, that that experience really marked me because it was like, oh, this this stuff happens. It's real. Um, and that kind of led to this journey of just, I just love to see healing and, and people get uh, just free from pain, free from demons, free from whatever, religion, religion and, and anything that's just not goodness and love and and the lord and so um mexico was quite a year it it was a hard year it was a good year i grew a lot i was still pretty fresh off off of the commune and and so there was just all even all just life stuff that i was still figuring out and learning and like i think it's only by the grace of god that i didn't get a mugged or kidnapped or or something like that because i got my i'd get around some pretty interesting characters because i just didn't know better yeah well, and that's quite a that's quite a significant jump too to go from being ex- exclusively on a commune to then you know you said you pumped gas to working in a factory yeah. to then going to Mexico. So was your was the duration of one year was that just part of the plan? And and after the year, where did you go? Yep. So that was the plan to do a one year internship. After that year, I towards the end of that year, I was just um, I was like, God, what's next? Um, and so. Uh, I, I heard about um, a ministry school in, in Redding, California, and uh, I just seen some testimonies of students who had done that and talking about how it transformed them. And I was like, just hearing their testimonies and the things that they, the, the freedom and, and the transformation they experienced, I was like, I, I, I gotta have that. So I was just, I was just so hungry. I was just willing to kind of go anywhere, do anything um, to experience more of God. And I had already started to see some really amazing things, but I was just like, I was just hungry and just wanted more. And I really ex- wanted to experience like a, yeah, like a tangible, even just more of a tangible, like touch from him. Um, so I went and spent three years in California um, at this ministry school. It was, it was one of the best things I've ever done. It was, it was a really good. It was a hard three years. Um, 
But that's where I think I really started to get free from religion and these belief systems. Even things like I just didn't believe that God wanted to say like the desires of my heart. I just didn't, I just didn't even know that God want, like I always thought that was bad because this religion is like, well, if it's a good thing that you want, you probably have to kill it. Um, It's just these twisted, like religion is just a weird thing. But so I just learned so much about the goodness of God and his heart. Um, to actually make our dreams come true and the things that we desire as we're transformed and born again are actually his dreams and desires for us. Um, so there was so much uh, of my core values that began to get shaped around around the Lord and who God is. And then I got to travel a bunch um, as well on just different mission trips around the world. Got to go to Africa a few times. Um, and that that was super, super impactful. Um yeah, sure. One story because you had talked about you. You had mentioned the verse, uh, "You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free." And um, it's been one of the most profound. Probably, apart from that encounter with the Lord, this was another one of those really um, moments that that just really marked me. Uh, yeah, just, just so we were. Yeah, I'm at a loss for words, kind of how to describe it, but but it just was so profound for for me, and we were doing a crusade and we're seeing a lot of people get um start manifesting demons and um it's funny because uh, a lot of people don't don't believe in that stuff or they don't they don't know it's real but but man when you when you get a you get it into a crusade and and now there's a dozen or 15 or 20 people all around you on the ground violently manifesting foaming at the mouth talking in weird voices like like it's pure chaos but it's all of a sudden it's like oh dang this stuff is real like it's like it just felt like it's kind of straight out of the bible and i remember so with with deliverance it's kind of one of those things they teach you about it in school they kind of teach you some tools and then you get in front of, front of somebody who who's on the ground violently manifesting two or three people are just trying to hold them down so they don't smack you in the face or like they're like it's just a kind of out of control um all the, all of those tools and all the teaching kind of goes out the window because you're like you just kind of start trying stuff that you, you, you try to remember. Um, and then if that doesn't work, you kind of just try the next thing and the next thing. And you you hope eventually they're going to get free, right? Because it's, it's just super intense. But um, so we're seeing a lot of these people that were demonically possessed and started manifesting were young girls. And, and it's just some really hard stuff that goes on in Africa. But there's just a lot of um, sexual abuse and, and rape and that can open the door. Um, for for just the demonic, so it's just it's it's heartbreaking. Um, but then you see God show up and heal and redeem and restore. But um, remember there was a couple couple of these girls where it was like thirty or forty minutes, and they're just thrashing around and we're just not seeing any change. You know, you you, you pray in tongues, you, you you take authority, you cast like you you try all this stuff, and and we're just like nothing's changed. And I remember just having this moment where. God just all of a sudden gave me, like I started to just feel a little bit of his love for this girl on the, on the ground whose head is slamming off the dirt and it's just heartbreaking to watch. But there was just this moment where I just all of a sudden felt how much he loved them. And and out of that compassion, I just, I was like, forget about talking to the demon. Um, I just, I remember getting down in the dirt on my knees and just cradling this girl's head in my hand and her head's like, just trying to keep it from like slamming off the dirt. Like it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking to watch. Um, 
And I just started whispering into her ear. And I was like, baby girl, your daddy loves you. You belong to Jesus now. And I kid you not, within 10 seconds, after 30 or 40 minutes, within 10 seconds of just speaking truth about her identity and who she is and who she belongs to, the demon was gone. It was it was one of the most profound things I've experienced. And, and bringing that back to this verse, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Sometimes... Sometimes God's so good, he'll bring somebody else along who knows the truth. And them speaking the truth will set us free when we're in a place where we can't even do that on our own, you know? Um, so when I, I just, I love that story because it just, it just makes you cry thinking about the kindness of the Lord. And, and he does that for me, um, where he'll just come with his truth. You know, we're struggling with something, but then he'll just come and he'll just whisper a little thought. But like, this is actually what's true about you. And that tormenting thing has no place to have authority anymore when the truth is now present wow yeah so i just i want to share that story because it just continues to impact my heart and and how i see the lord that's a oh man that's a that's a great story that just sent chills down me like in a good way right in such truth and it's funny you started that off by saying you know you were at a loss for words because it's so that's has so much depth and it's very interesting that a lot of us we don't believe that or a lot of people don't believe in demonic possession here in north america but we totally believe it can happen in africa and we had a guest heather rodine who has a ministry in haiti Mm -hmm. uh, who talked about that same thing in haiti and it's like we can believe that there and what actually scares me more is that we don't believe that that can happen here yeah and and that that is actually a scary thought and it's interesting yeah right it's just here too yeah but it's interesting how you said that uh you know it was chaos and and what that looked like you know the image of it of, of what the enemy wants to distract us with all the image and what this looks like and the chaos and stuff but the simple truth of what god sees we see the hitting the head and we see all the things and he sees a daughter that he loves. Yeah. And the fact that he shared his heart with you and for you to speak that into her and that truth setting her free. <laughs> yeah. Cause wow. that's what he's done for you. And that's what he's done to me. The exact same thing. It just looked a little bit different. Yeah. But you just come in when we're in the middle of our mess and the chaos and brokenness and we don't know what's up or down anymore. And he comes in, he's like, I love you. And there's something about when, when God just whispers that into your spirit, that it just changes everything. I know you've had those moments. I've had those moments. And I've, when you get to be a part of those moments with other people, it's just this, this beautiful privilege. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So, okay, what happened after Africa? Did you travel some more or, or take us into after that and, and, and you sort of come and getting settled in this area? Back and in Ontario. Yeah. And, and what how that's changed your life here and your perspective and what that looks like for you these days. Yeah. So that was, I've been back in Ontario, uh, from California now, I believe it's, it's gotta be close to four years. Um, initially I had moved back, back home, back in my parents and I was there for a little bit less than a year. And then I'd had on my heart to be, to, to move up to this area and be a part of Disciple of Sadie and be around the Shepskis and what they were doing for, for quite a while. Um, and so, 
yeah, it's got to be three years ago now. I moved up to Bob Cajun. I moved in with the Shepskis, a, a family that, that I just love and, and just wanted to be around um, people that were just going after a big vision and going after something really significant. Um, and so when I was, it's interesting because this is all kind of tied together, but I would have people tell me often when I was at, when I was at ministry school, when I was at ministry school, prophetically, people would say, uh, I see you in business. And they would say things like that. And I was always kind of like, yeah, that's not really me. I don't really resonate with that. I just, <laughs> I just want to be, uh, I just want to be in Africa as a missionary working with kids. Like that's, that's all really I wanted for probably a decade. I just want to be in Africa working with the kids and, and, um, I just love kids and get to continue to do that. Now it's just not in Africa. But, um, after I graduated, uh, ministry school, that, that thing of business kind of started to stir in my heart a little bit and I started to get around it a bit more and, and, and a passion for it started to grow in my heart. And it's funny because now I look back and I'm like, Oh, I, it was prophetic. Like just because I didn't resonate with it. That's kind of the point. It was prophetic. It was something that wasn't happening yet. That was in the future. Um, but it's been really neat. So about two years ago, um, I'd quit my job. Um, I was kind of in a place where I was just kind of like, dang, I'm going to have to move back home. I don't know how I'm going to pay rent, um, all that, all that fun stuff. And, uh, it was a skill I had learned at a previous, uh, employer with just making, uh, these simple, like just steel shelf brackets. Um, so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. So I remember, I it's funny. It, it was, it was quite scary. I had to buy a $500 bending machine and in that I didn't have money for it. And I remember I bought it and then I had canceled my purchase on Amazon. And then later that day from after some encouragement from it, I just bought it again. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going for it. Um, it's really cool. Cause the Lord also had some prophetic confirmation around that, but I just started it in, in, in a little eight by 12 shed out behind the house and, and did all the packaging in my bedroom. And then I, I cut this steel with like a little hacksaw that I got that I found for free somewhere. Um, just took, took some photos, had a buddy who took some photos from me and put it online on, on Etsy. And, uh, and over the last two years, um, it just kind of took off quite, quite rapidly. Um, to the point now, two years later, there's three of us there working. Um, it continues to grow. We're doing new stuff. And, and this thing of entrepreneurship I've realized is actually one of the biggest callings in my life. I've never felt so alive as being an entrepreneur. Um, and my heart is really to, to use entrepreneurship as a platform to impact community and advance the kingdom. That's why I love what I do. And that's it's a big part of it. I, there's a lot of it that I love, but a big part of it is just like, I just want to figure out how can we use business as a tool to advance the kingdom, um, whether that's through funding uh, local ministries like Disciple of City, um, whether it's Kids with Compassion Canada or just the local food bank, stuff like that. Um, those are those are things I incorporate into the business because it's just part of who I am. And it's just, it's just, it's just a tool. Business is just a tool, but it's one I'm really passionate about. And so I just this point in my life that's something i want to i feel like i'll be an entrepreneur for the rest of my life it's something i really love and uh i'm just dreaming big because i think god wants to do something really really significant um why couldn't god through me like grow a business that can put a billion dollars behind advancing the kingdom across canada and the globe and so that's what i'm just dreaming for like god like what are what are the kind of what are the ideas what are the things that you want to do through believers to advance the kingdom because if people can do that in the world with secular ideas, why not? Why couldn't I have a business that could give away $100 million in the next 10 years to push the kingdom across Canada and see a whole nation um, hear the gospel? So that's what I'm dreaming about right now and just 
loving every day in the middle of that process. That's awesome. Yeah. And what's the name of your company? Uh, Kubi Steel Co. Kubi Steel Co. It's on Etsy. On Etsy. Awesome. And have you had some opportunities with, with customers or with your distributors or where you get your products? Yeah, just to to share the gospel. Yeah, converse or just even conversations or opening doors and stuff like that. Yeah, I uh, earlier in the winter actually there was a customer that I had talked to on the phone a couple times in the states. I really don't know her well, but um, just she had to do a pretty significant project for her, and I just kind of had it on my heart like we're actually not supposed to charge her for this. We're supposed to just do this do this project for her without. for for no cost and it was a bit of it was one of those things where it's just this thing in my heart where i wasn't super excited about it at first because it was a significant project but it just wouldn't it wouldn't go away so i was like okay we're gonna we're gonna do this for her and so instead of sending her a bill we sent her a letter with some prophetic words on it and some scriptures that it had in my heart and um she wrote me a long message then a few weeks later after she'd received um, all of her products. And she just said, she's like, I can't call you because I'll just be crying on the phone if I do. And she just got super rocked by that. And the, the scripture that I sent um, super resonated with her. And she just super got impacted by the love of God and the gospel and Jesus through that. Um, so we try to do stuff like that. Um, I haven't followed up with her, um, just just being a client and all that. But but um we do things like that. I, I have uh, a guy doing photos for me that I was telling him some of these stories about seeing blind eyes open in Africa and stuff. And just, he's somebody that I'll get to continue to speak with on a regular basis. So um, just kind of, just kind of putting some of these things out there to, to, yeah. to get, just develop trust. And as we develop trust and relationship, um, looking forward to seeing where that will go. But I love, I'm just a super relational person. So I love to, kind of build relationships and just start kind of putting putting things out there to see what kind of conversations those will lead yeah. to you. And then Chris, Chris, uh, some of the listeners wouldn't know my uh, Chris Black, what he works, we work together and he, uh, I believe all the, the FedEx delivery drivers have heard the gospel by now. So as they, as they, we get new drivers, they just keep hearing the gospel. And so it's something he goes out, he goes after super intentionally. So that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. That's great. You know what? And that's good. And that's, that's really what Disciple City is is all about. It's is encouraging and equipping Christians to do exactly what you're doing, right? You're you did some ministry stuff, but you're not in full time ministry. You got a business. You're an entrepreneur. You got your own business. Yet the the gospel is God is still moving in it. And you're still able to share. That's really really good, man. Yeah, it's lots of fun, bro. We're just about out of time here, but can you? Is if. If anybody, if, if somebody was listening right now who was, say, getting out of a lifestyle like a commune that you were living in and is in that moment that you described where they're, you know, depressed um, from leaving that lifestyle and are questioning the reality or the truth of God and somebody like that was listening right now or you had an opportunity to sit and talk with a younger person, what, what would you say to them? Mm, I love that question, Todd. I think I would say that God's he's he he's a big God, and you can put him to the test and challenge him, and he's going to show up. I'd say don't be afraid to ask the hard questions. If he's real and he loves you, then he wants to let you know that more than you could possibly imagine. So, so just 
Don't be afraid to go to the hard places. Ask the real questions because he is going to meet you in that place. I promise you. And he's already just excited to embrace you in your mess, in the pain, in the brokenness. And I'm just, I would just say I'm just so excited because I know that if you genuinely want to know God and encounter his love, you will because he wants that for you more than you could possibly imagine. Amen. Yeah. Thanks, Micah. Thank you, Todd. It's been it's been so good to be here. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it's been good to hang out with you and, and just uh, to hear your story. Thanks again for sharing and your time, bro. Appreciate it. Yeah, I love you, man. Don't be afraid to go to the hard places. If you're searching, friends, those of you listening, if you're searching, don't be afraid to go to those hard places. Don't be afraid to ask those questions like Micah said. God wants to reach us in our mess, where we are. Can't get prepared. He wants us now. He wants to speak truth to us. He wants to reveal the truth to us. Friends, there's people listening from different countries around the world, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast. You could reach out to us at disciplecity.ca, tag the Toddcast, and let us know what you think. And just remember, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. We'll see you next week.